Sometimes faith-based movies get a bad rap. Panned by the critics, ridiculed on the internet, you'd be hard-pressed to find a billboard around Hollywood promoting the latest redemptive movie. Yet there are talented filmmakers making projects that help believers, as well as non-believers, encounter Jesus in new and interesting ways. And I'm excited for you to meet one of these filmmakers in just a moment. I'm Charles Morris. This is the Great Stories Podcast. And today we're doing something a little different. I'm about to share an interview conducted in 2018 by Haven's executive producer, Troy Lamberth, where he spoke with John Irwin. You might know him as one half of the Irwin brothers who brought you films like I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, and most recently a documentary I watched and loved last week called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. After the episode, I want to invite you to visit haventoday.org, watch the trailer, and make your gift for the Johnny Cash DVD. But more on that at the end of this episode. For now, listen in to Troy's conversation with John Irwin that covers everything from the making of I Can Only Imagine to how John and his brother Andy believe that there is a bright future for Christian movie making. Let's get started. This is Haven Today. I'm Troy Lambert, the executive producer of the program, and we are pleased to be joined by John Irwin from Birmingham, Alabama, for the very first time on this program. John, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me and uh, and for talking about it. I Can Only Imagine. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this this film caught everybody by surprise. The predictions were, you know, fairly low for a Christian film, but to date it's grossed over $83 million dollars. I'm sure it's probably more than you thought. Why do you think this film connected with people the way that it did? Well, yeah, we're, I mean, nobody can be more surprised than, uh, than me and, uh, and Andy and Kevin Downs, our producer. And uh, I mean, we, we had a special feeling about this project from the beginning, but never in our wildest dreams did we think about it, it, it doing what it did, you know, and, and uh, God just really you know, poured out his blessings on the project and, and we're incredibly grateful, uh, to the fans and to everyone that has, um, uh, supported the film. And I, I think, you know, it succeeded for a couple of reasons. I, I mean, number one, God just chose to bless the project. And number two, you know, I heard JJ Abrams say once that if you, if you, if, if you find something is, is moving and inspirational and entertaining to you, you know, a big part of the entertainment business is just to trust that it, it will be to other people. And a lot of people didn't understand yeah. what we wanted to do or what we were trying to do. A lot of studios didn't get it. But I knew I loved this song. And I knew it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just that I was aware of the song, I can only imagine. It, it, that song mm. uh, had a special place in my heart. It was like a beacon of hope for me in difficult times. And, and I knew there had to be other people like that. And, um, and so when we heard the story of I Can Only Imagine and understood that it was just so powerful and really blew us away. I remember when Andy uh, and I were interviewing Bart and, and asked him, you know, how do you know God is real? And he said, because of the change I saw in my dad. He said, mm. I watched a monster transform into my best friend. And, and just that reconciliation between a father and son and the realization that Imagine is a song that we know to be about heaven, but in reality, it's a son singing for his father. That was just so, it sunk deeply into my heart, lodged itself as like a, you know, a splinter in my brain. I couldn't stop mm. thinking about it. And so the fact that there was this incredible, powerful, untold story behind a song that was beloved by millions of people um, was really why, why we did the project. And, and, um, and it was so cool to see the audience 
uh, be so much larger than we had ever dreamed and really mm. shock Hollywood and create yeah. this fear of missing out that, that then triggered a wave of box office success. And so I think it just shows that the Christian audience is large. I mean, this is not a niche business and uh, sure. it's an enormous group of people. And, and when Christians are unified around things, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And, and, uh, and so that was really, I think, why one of the reasons why uh, the film succeeded. The other one, I think you could connect the success of I Can Only Imagine to the success of Wonder or The Greatest Showman. And, and the reason I say mm. that is because I think the audience, just a, a large portion of America, they, they want hope, you know, they want optimism. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they want things that they can take their entire family to that uplift them. And I think we're in the age of sort of the anti-hero and winners versus losers. And a lot of the entertainment mm -hmm. is really bleak and culturally, you know, we're in this sort of bleak moment. Um, sure. and, and there's some great stuff in that. There's some great television series and whatnot in that bleak world, but it just leaves your soul really empty. And I think that uh, I can only imagine and wonder and The Greatest Showman and, the, and movies like that show the need for what Andy and I call the return of Frank Capra, you know, the legendary mm, filmmaker, yeah, just a yeah. sense of optimism and hope and, and, and portraying the world as, as maybe it should be. And, uh, and, and things that leave you feeling great when you leave the theater. And I think that, that that actually was one of the, one of the successes of, of imagine is that it, it you know, mm. it came along at the right time. Now, speaking of Bart Millard and his story, we had him on our program, I think it was back in 2006, Charles Morse interviewed him, and he talked about the writing of the song, but he didn't really open up much about his father. He did say, my dad was my best friend, but he passed away from cancer, and through that experience, the Lord, you know, gave me this song. But I was just listening to it uh, yesterday, actually, and was surprised that he didn't really open up much about it. How did you hear about how abusive his father was, how challenging it was to grow up. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about when Bart decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this story be known a little bit broader. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. like you said, it had never been told before. Yeah. You know, he had mentioned that he wrote it for his dad uh, at concerts, but he had never opened up about their relationship and how difficult it was and, and how bad it was and then how good it became uh, as mm. his dad uh, became a Christian. And, and that's a very bold thing to do for Bart. I mean, yeah, it, it's a yeah. very sensitive thing. And, and, uh, and I'm just very grateful that he was willing to let his whole story be told unfiltered in a, in a way and a level of authenticity that I think a lot of Christian products shy away from sometimes. And, and, but, you know, the redemption can only be as deep as the wound, you know. And, and, uh, hmm. and yeah. so I think that I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to dive into to, to the reality of their relationship in a way that families can still enjoy and still has a PG rating. Uh, sure. But, you yeah. know, I think uh, the way the project came to us was, uh, you know, Andy and I worked in Christian music for many years. We began our careers as a cameraman for ESPN. Uh, mm. I, I, <laughs> a cameraman got sick when I was 15, and I got to take his place at the University of Alabama football game, ESPN game, and, and uh, just sort of like joined the circus after that. And that probably was a dream job for you growing up in Birmingham. Were you, were you Alabama fans? Yeah, I was, I was totally an Alabama fan, and I literally <laughs> had the time of my life, and I had never seen a camera that big. And, and, uh, and, I mean, you could zoom in and out of the moon, like in and out of a quarter of the moon. Oh, this wow. was like a telescope. So I'm this... 15 year old kid zooming in and out of the moon, you know, thinking this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And like overnight went from really not knowing anyone who wasn't a Christian and didn't share my worldview to being the only Christian in this kind of 
Pirates of the Caribbean mm. environment, of yeah. the, you know, but it actually made my faith very real to me, you know, because it had to be mine and I loved it. And, uh, and you know, they paid me $300 and I'd never seen that much money at one time. And, and so I just, I was in, you know, and I remember a week later, uh, a, a crewing, uh, lady came, called me and uh, said, are you, are you a freelance camera operator in Birmingham? Cause so, you know, Birmingham's in the heart of the sec and there's a lot of televised games mm-hmm. in the region. And I had never heard those three words together. And I said, yes, absolutely. That's what I do, you know? And, and, uh, that was sort of it. <laughs> so, uh, Andy and I did a lot of things. Uh, my dad bought us a camera and we did all kinds of videos for our church and ministries and, you know, local commercials and all kinds of stuff. And then finally it led to a, a career in music. Uh, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant, who, who are portrayed in the film actually gave us mm-hmm. a break to do music videos for them and launched a career for us doing music videos and commercials. And, and we, we landed there for a long time uh, before we started doing films and did very well and, and had a great time. And that was sort of our practice track and uh, where we could hone and refine um, our skill, uh, which I think a lot of people don't don't value the, the you know, the, sure. the season of yeah. preparation is very important. And uh, absolutely. And so uh, in that, Andy formed a relationship with Bart and uh, we were, you know, he's just a great guy. He became a great friend. He's like the Tom Hanks of Christian music. I mean, you just, you, you love him, you know, and sure. uh, he doesn't have any sort of like, you know, uh, chip on his shoulder and he's just a great guy. And uh, Andy had set up an artist screening for one of our other films. Um, I believe it was Mom's Night Out. And uh, Bart came and and said, hey, there's a company and, and, a, and a studio that's sort of looking to develop uh, my story into a movie and it's stuck and it's not really going anywhere. And would you guys ever take a look? And, uh, Andy said that, you know, it's funny as they just sent us the script and proposal this morning. So of course, just out of friendship, uh, we'll take a look. And I, I all I knew is I love the song and, um, mm, but mm-hmm. we, we were documentary filmmakers before we were feature filmmakers. So we did, we, sure. we went back to the source and did just hours of interviews with Bart and Shannon and, Brickle and and um, and a very different narrative emerged and a different take on the story and we just fell in love with this redemption story between a father and son and this sort of coming of age story and this underdog artist story you know mm-hmm. uh, writing a song that would touch the world and and um, and so that's sort of how how it came about just out of a friendship and Bart wow. was very open to trusting us with his story and 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 letting us. Um, you know, tell the good along with the bad. Now, I went to film school myself, and I know there's one stigma out there that's worse than a bad independent film is a Christian independent movie. Yeah. Uh, there's, and there's a lot of uh, unfair at some time stigma about, you know, the acting, the pacing, the story, etc. How, and I'm going to ask a million dollar question for the future Christian filmmakers. Yeah. How have you guys avoided that? Because let's be honest, I've seen Mom's Night Out, I've seen Lawndale, I've seen I Can Only Imagine. I hate to say it this way, but it feels like a Hollywood movie. How did you guys set about avoiding those cliches? And like you said, you already said you did a lot of preparation as documentary filmmakers, as music video. Yeah. But even with that, you still could fall into being overly preachy or, you know, just kind of cliche. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. I mean, there's a few answers to that question. And that is a great question. And, and I do dream of a day. I mean, if you walk into the Sistine Chapel, you realize that Christian art was not always mm. seen as Amen. as uh, subpar and behind the times. I mean, there was a time yeah. when it was industry leading. It was the best of the best. Yes. And I dream, I dream of those times returning. Um, and, and there is somewhat of a stigma on, uh, on, on faith film. 
Um, I think because, um, oh gosh, there's, this is such a loaded question and, and so there's so it many is, answers I'm to sorry. it. No, it's a great question. <laughs> we think about it often. Um, in the positive sense, you know, again, I dream of doing what Smitty and Amy did to music. I mean, if you think about, and those early pioneers of Christian music, if you think about what, what Christian music was at the time, it was very cheesy and behind and, mm-hmm. and, and very mm-hmm. kind of, uh, there was a, 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 you know, sort of a, a uniformity to it. There wasn't a lot of diversity in Christian music. And, sure. and, uh, and then these early pioneers, you know, uh, like Smitty and Amy and, you know, uh, Petra and I mean, all the way back to Keith Green, you know, really invented... Yeah what we know of Christian music today. And I would argue that um, there's much of Christian music that I love now, I mean, with whether it's Bethel or Hillsong or Joel and his brother with King Country. I mean, there's just some really great stuff and mm-hmm. it's really diverse, you know, into different uh, genres. And uh, that's what we dream of doing with film is let, let's, let's not avoid the, the, the category. Let's roll up our sleeves and, and, uh, and fix it, you know, and, and really establish this medium so that a generation of talent um, can come behind us and far exceed us. And, and there can be a great, you know, blossoming of diversity to where these films can be different and in different genres. Sure. I don't consider Christian film to be a genre. I think it's an audience of yeah. people. It's films on purpose, you know, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's films with a, with a, with an intent to communicate something that we, that we feel like is life changing. But that that purpose can be delivered in different genres of film, you know. And uh, I don't think all these things have to look and feel the same. And that was one of the things that really set Andy and I free. It's like the trunk has grown out into its branches, and the branches can be different from each other. And uh, and you can be unique, you know. God doesn't create clones. And the worst thing I could do is try to be the Kendricks or Devon Franklin, even though we support each sure. other and we love each other. What we yeah. do is different, and and uh, and the and and you know we, we care about evangelism, where the Kendricks care about edify, edifying the church, and so mm-hmm. the films just take on naturally different forms. In terms of as an artist, how to avoid the the cliche and the stereotype, I just think the big thing people overlook is the practice track. I, I think film, mm-hmm. I don't consider film to be an art form near as much as I consider it to be a craft. And hmm. a craft is something that you learn a little bit at a time over a long period of time and you master mm-hmm. over the course of your life. And I've had some great um, you know, mentors that I've learned a great deal from, like Randall Wallace and Mel Gibson and others that have been very generous to, to just share their insights and their technique. And hmm. um, and before that, you know, Andy and I spent... Um, you know, uh, I've heard it said that success is long obedience in the same direction. And, and, uh, mm. so I can only imagine finally, uh, tipped, you know, that was the, the one, the hit that we've been waiting for, but you know, that's over 20 years into the journey. I'm, I'm 36 and this all started when I was 15. So, wow. um, yeah. so it takes time. You, you sort of want to grind that can get you to your goal in the sense that you want to practice track that is accelerating your craft. And for Andy and I, that was sports photography with ESPN first. Then my dad bought us a camera when we were 16 and it was like weddings and church videos mm-hmm. and videos for mm-hmm. this youth camp in New York called Word of Life Island. And, and, uh, and then it was like local promotional pieces and commercials. And then it was music videos, which was our main practice track um, for many, many years. And then national commercials and things of that nature. So by the time we, we got to doing a film, we had done, you know, hundreds of hours, uh, you know, of work. And, and, and it was something that Malcolm Gladwell called uh, in this great book, Outliers, great author, he calls the 10,000 hour rule. 
And, yeah, I was and just I, thinking of that. <laughs> that to me is like the missing thing. And I think we forget yeah. that there are long seasons of preparation in the Bible for short seasons of influence. Yes. And I think that what I tell film students is like, don't go out and rush to make a movie. You know, I wanted to make a movie when I was 23 or whatever. Sure. I'm so glad I didn't uh, because, you know, I've directed some great videos, award-winning videos. We, we won video of the year three years in a row, but I've also directed some really bad ones and nobody knows, mm. you know, no, nobody, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're sort of judged by your first film, uh, you know, for uh, forever. And so I, I think that that's one of the ways that, that we've, um, uh, avoided maybe the, the cliched um, pitfalls of film is that we hold the gospel sacred, the message of the film that we're trying to communicate. We say what we do is we make movies, but why we do what we do is to spread the gospel mm-hmm. and support the local church. But we've also hold the craft of film and the experience of entertainment as equally sacred. You know, I think that my, the tickets to my movies are no cheaper than Star Wars and People aren't, you know, they're, they're, they're spending the same amount of time, the same amount of mm-hmm. money. They're buying popcorn that costs more than anywhere else on earth, you know, and, and, <laughs> and there's something sacred about that. Something John Laster yeah. calls the nobility of entertainment. And I think some people say, well, as long as the gospel's in the movie, it doesn't matter. That's not true. Uh, we could damage the message if we sure. put it in a bad form. And so we say, look, let's not, let's at least strive to earn the message that we care so much about, not use it as a crutch for a bad product. And let's first entertain because we work in the entertainment business. That's the name of mm-hmm. it, you know? And, uh, and so that's the goal. The other thing that I think is really smart, that, that's like one side of it is the craft of film. The other side of the question is that I, I heard Nolan, who I mean, obviously he's like one of the great masters of film today, uh, say Christopher that- Nolan, yeah, I'm Chris, Christopher Nolan, I'm assuming Yeah, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan. I heard him say that, you know, uh, the audience is really smart and the audience is smart enough to know uh, whether a filmmaker is taking an emotional journey for themselves or a filmmaker mm. is using his bag of tricks to make the audience believe something that they don't believe. And mm-hmm. you can feel that separation uh, in mainstream films as well as Christian films. And I think one thing that's wrong uh, with a lot of Christian films is sort of like the, the craft isn't there. The other thing that's wrong is filmmakers saying, well, this is what the audience wants, so we're going to put it in the mm. film. Those scenes stick uh-huh. out like sore thumbs, you know, whether it's the cliched conversion in the movie or whatever. There's a huge difference between, well, this is what the audience wants and a filmmaker saying, this is what I believe, this is what I feel deeply, and I'm going to put what I believe and what I feel deeply on the screen in, in the most authentic way as possible. And so the idea, and even with Woodlawn, I feel like, you know, 85, 90% of it was in that category, but I think that there was 10% of, well, this is what the audience wants to hear, if I'm being honest with myself Ah. and just in retrospect. Whereas I can only imagine every word of the movie is what we deeply believe and what we deeply feel. And I think a director has to remember that you're the first viewer of the movie. So make it honest, you know, at the monitor. Make it honest to yourself and work the material till you believe it fully until it moves you. And, and uh, because that's your job as a director. And I think when you, yeah. get in, when you get into the rut of, well, this is what the audience wants and this is what will sell, uh, it, the audience can sniff out that lie. Uh, the Christian Absolutely. audience, I think, is actually smarter than the secular audience is knowing when they're trying to just be, when they're being taken advantage of. So I think those are the, the two things is like master your craft 
uh, and, and do that daily. We say quality is never an accomplishment in our camp. It's always an aspiration, you know, and we claim the words of George Lucas that films are never complete. They're only abandoned, you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and so, but the idea is they should be getting better and better and better because we should be constantly learning our craft. And so master your craft and be, be as authentic as possible to your own convictions, to what you believe and what you want to say. The theme of I Can Only Imagine is restoration, forgiveness, coming out of a, you know, a really hard home where uh, Bart Miller's father was very abusive. Have you heard any stories, uh, could you share anything with us, of people who were really touched uh, through this film, that God used it to begin perhaps even restoration in their own broken relationships? On opening weekend, Priscilla Shire retweeted a woman and her child went to, went to the movie, her daughter, I believe, and there, as they were leaving, there was a woman behind them that said, uh, do you know Jesus? And, and she said, well, yeah, do you? And she said, no, total stranger. But she said, wow. I, I, I need what's in this movie. I need what's ha- what happened to Bart's dad. I need that to happen to me, and I need someone to explain it to me right now. And they had this wonderful wow. co- conversation in the theater. There's also something that's probably unique to I can only imagine is a lot of people. I remember there's a guy in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that literally wouldn't leave the theater till he found his dad. Hadn't seen him since he was 14 years old, just harboring a lot of bitterness and anger. He was a Christian. Wow. But, and he found him, and he scheduled, found him on Facebook, and scheduled a meeting with him the next day, and forgave him, shared Christ with him. That's been happening uh, a lot. James Dobson actually told me the other day, he uh, finally watched it, uh, like the fourth weekend, and the theater was still packed, and he sat beside this man, it's African-American man, and at the climax of the film, the man literally stood up for the whole rest of the film, put his hands in the air, and uh, Dobson asked him at the end, "What? obviously this meant something to you, and he said, yeah, my, my, that was my dad, and that my dad's just wow. like that, and he said, I, I, I forgave him last week, and I'm, he was an alcoholic my whole life, he said, I forgave him last week, I'm giving him my kidney next week so he can stay alive, and this movie is just wow. a huge confirmation. So I think that there's a lot of relationships mended and I just think it shows the power of the tool uh, that mass mm-hmm. entertainment is the most powerful way ever to, ever created to do exactly what Jesus did which is to tell stories and if you think about the stories Jesus told they were emotional they were relatable you did not have to be a Pharisee to understand the parables um, mm-hmm. and they and they pushed people to a higher understanding of God and uh, that's what that's what we do. And that's the real power, too, is that, like you said, you can make an emotional film that can move people to think or feel a different way, but if it's not rooted in truth, it, they're going to then move to the next feeling or the next idea on the next movie. Correct. But you, you guys are, you, the, the power of Christ's parables, the power of your stories is that they're rooted in the gospel, and that seems to be important to you guys. Yeah, I, I, you know, what we do is, you know, again, as, a, as an artist, you have to find your funnel, you know, and where, and where, what makes you unique and what your calling is. You know, for us, we want to tell stories that are entertaining, that are emotionally relatable, no matter what you believe, mm-hmm. but that showcase, that are literally engineered to showcase um, the power of the gospel to transform your life. Um, you know, this is, the gospel means good news. And I yeah. love telling stories of transformation and redemption, that, that nobody is beyond God's grace, nobody's beyond forgiveness, nobody's beyond change. And, you know, God can change you if you if you'll let him. Those are the stories that we're called to tell. It just takes too long to work on it and make a movie, and it's too hard for that movie not to matter. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, yeah. and so to us, 
what matters most in the culture we live in is to spread the gospel and and to do that through stories and and to and to be very shrewd in the stories that we tell and, and let the stories do the work so the and I think we found the most powerful way to do that is true stories you know if it, it really mm-hmm. happened I mean you know I'm just the reporter I'm just here yeah. to tell you what and some of the stories that we tell like Woodlawn or I can only imagine if it wasn't true I would argue that you shouldn't tell it you know because you, you don't want uh, it to be interpreted that we're just saying that you know God is the quick fix to everything, but this, these things really happened. And sure. I remember when Quaid signed on for the project and just said, uh, I've never played transformation on film like this before. Uh, wow. you know, I'm blown away by what happened in this man's life. And it's true, you know? And, and, uh, so I, I think a true story is where you can be, have a level of honesty and authenticity that maybe it's hard to in a fictional story. Um, just because you, you just become the reporter and you're just saying this is this is what happened, you know, and uh, and it's true. Absolutely. Well, John Irwin, one of the brothers of the famous Irwin brothers now, this is a question that we always wrap up our interviews with here on Haven Today. Uh, my boss, Charles Morris, has asked many people this question. Who is Jesus to you? That's a great question. And uh, I'm honored first to be on your program and, and to be, um, you know, part of the conversation uh, culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to me, Jesus is my uh, Lord and Savior. And, you know, I love when he says, when Jesus teaches us to pray, you know, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as well as Mm. in heaven. I think a lot of times we think about, okay, I've got to, I've got to become a Christian so I can go to heaven when I die. Of course, that's part of it. But to me, a relationship with Jesus, it's about the here and now. I mean, it's about God changing your life today and tomorrow and and giving you a life that you could have never dreamed of otherwise and and uh, and not that it's free of pain or hardship or suffering but there's just a joy and a peace mm-hmm. to to Christianity that uh, is pretty amazing and I think we forget that the gospel it just means good news but a relationship with Christ and Christianity does deeply satisfy and and change your life uh, here and now, you know. And uh, and and so to me, it's just the the pitch for Christianity is is just check it out. This will this will if you'll let it, this will transform you. So uh, that yeah. that is who uh, uh, Jesus is to me, and we love telling those stories. And again, with I can only imagine when Bart told me. I watched my dad transform. I watched God transform him from a monster. A little, I mean, Bart would say there, there, if there was anybody that God could not change, it would be my dad. Hmm. Wow. And he watched God change this man uh, from a man of uncontrollable anger to his best friend and the man he wanted to become wow. and, and the man that inspired him with his music career. And, and uh, that's what God is in the business of doing. And uh, those are the stories of redemption and change uh, that we love to tell. And, uh, and we're honored that I can only imagine did what it did uh, in the box office, which is just sort of unprecedented. And we're honored that um, people can find it now on DVD and Blu-ray. And, and we've, you guys have given us so much leverage in Hollywood to do some really big things. Uh, we can dream a little bigger uh, than, than yeah, anyone that, that has been able to dream in quite a while in entertainment and, and those announcements will come shortly um but we hope to represent christianity well we hope to tell stories that matter 
and, uh, and you know and tell them globally and and you guys have done that for us anybody that supports the film or watches the film we say you're our boss you know we, we've uh, we can make a movie <laughs> but we can't make it a hit you make it a hit and uh, we're, we're deeply grateful Wow, that's wonderful. And I'm looking forward to those announcements coming soon. John Irwin, co-director of I Can Only Imagine. We just want to thank you so much for being on Haven today with us. Troy, thanks again for having me on Haven today. And uh, thank thank you so much to your listeners uh, for their support of I Can Only Imagine. Thank you for joining us on Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I also want to thank John Irwin and our producer, Troy Lambert, for an insightful conversation about expressing stories of faith in the way of movies. Now, if you'd like to watch one of the Irwin Brothers' latest films, we have available for you Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. It's our thanks for making a gift to Haven Ministries. And so I want to invite you to visit haventoday.org and learn more. Watch the trailer then make your gift for this documentary about the life and faith of one of America's greatest musicians. You don't even have to enjoy country and Western music to enjoy this film. I watched it with my wife Janet last week and we both loved learning more about Johnny Cash and how Christ saved him from his darkest moments. And remember, when you make your gift, every dollar you send goes to producing all about Jesus content, including the podcast you're currently hearing. And if you want to hear more content like you heard on today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.